you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God, Paul writes. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. The very creation waits, longs, groans. Now that might strike some as being startling language, particularly if you've been conditioned to imagine that the Christian faith teaches that the created world the world of matter and of bodies, is somehow secondary to the heavenly, the spiritual. That humanity's future lies in being swept away from the created order and carried off to some distant heaven. But no, Paul insists, it isn't just humans who wait and long for the redemption. For the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The whole of creation, he's saying, is part of the story of redemption. It isn't just an empty husk that will be cast aside, but instead the whole of the created order is freighted with hope, with a future, And in the here and now, it isn't just we who know what it is to suffer and to ache for healing. For he says the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains. Now, to really grapple with what Paul is saying here, we need to recognize the essential Jewishness of his worldview and theological framework which is rooted in the two creation stories from the beginning of the book of Genesis. From its opening line, in the beginning, the first story reads almost like liturgical praise. That repeated phrase, God saw that it was good, God saw that it was good, God saw that it was good, culminates on the eve of the seventh day, the Sabbath day, with the proclamation that God saw everything he had made, and indeed it was very good. It's a picture of creation utterly at unity with itself, harmonious, wondrous, and very good. There's too that moment where the Creator says, and let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion, Dominion over fish, birds, the cattle, wild animals, and even the creeping things. Dominion. It's a powerful word. It it can be a bit of a loaded word. One that's often been badly misused to justify a sort of human triumphalism. We can do what we want to this created world. Sometimes that's the claim. We are the ones on top. We can treat it as we would. But no, if our dominion is meant to echo God's dominion, God's rule is like that of a steward or a gardener. 
Even the language of kingship for God has nothing in common with a tyrant or a dictator or an emperor. This is not meant to be that kind of dominion. Then the second creation story opens. It's a more ancient and in many ways more enigmatic story. It tells of the breach in the unity and harmony of the creation. The figure of the serpent appears in the garden to deceive the first humans. Go ahead, eat the fruit of that tree. No, no, we've been forbidden to do that. It's the only thing we're not to do. Ah, that's because God wants to keep you small. The serpent lies. Eat. Eat and your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. This is the moment you can almost imagine the whole of creation holding its breath, trembling. Resist. Resist. But no. And just like that, as the story is told, the unity and harmony and pure goodness and sheer wonder are thrown out of balance. They're not gone, but they're not in unity anymore. And what throws them out? Presumption. Pride. The need to have it all. Paul would have understood that the first creation story tells of how things should be, how they were intended to be, Now the second story speaks to how risky it is for God to entrust humanity with dominion and with freedom. Not just risky for humans either, but for the whole of the creation. But is it just too fanciful, too primitive to think in terms of creation's longing Creation's groaning, creation's labor pains. Is that just too ancient a way of seeing the world? We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains. I stood on a beach on the island of Naxos in Greece. The sky's gray and drizzling rain. The waves washing hard against the shore. And each one of those waves brought in more bits of plastic, bottle tops, broken flip-flops, bags, discarded packaging. I'd gone to that beach to marvel at the power of the sea and saw instead signs of its wounds. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains, The wildfires in British Columbia have displaced people by the tens of thousands, and many have lost everything other than what they could cram into the trunks of their cars. One of the reasons that such fires rage so badly is that we have become too effective at preventing forest fires. Forest fires are actually a part, a natural part of the ecosystem. Some seeds and some kinds of cones will only do their work if they're scorched by fire. If you've ever gone blueberry picking in the interlake or the white shell, you'll know the best place to find berries is on a site that had been burned out in the last couple of years. 
Forest fires clear out the deadfall and they open the way for new growth. But if for decade after decade after decade you keep suppressing them, when they finally do catch hold, they are quickly out of control, too hot, too wild, and all you can do is flee. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains. You might have heard in the past week or two the stories of the death of right whales in the St. Lawrence. They are one of the most endangered species in the world. And it now appears that between water contaminants, high levels of noise from ships which interferes with their system of navigation, decline in the availability of prey, and all of the side effects of global warming, all of them are conspiring to put those right whales even more at risk. Psalm 104 praises God for the seas, and it specifically mentions the whales, Leviathan, that you, Lord, formed to sport in it, that you, Lord, formed to play in. The other way of translating the Hebrew, though, is the whales that you, Lord, formed for the sport of it, for the joy and delight of it. And those whales are dying, and it's because of us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains. There's increasing evidence that fracking for oil not only pollutes almost unimaginable amounts of water, but it can so destabilize the bedrock that it actually can cause earthquakes. Then the creation quite literally groans. Now we're Paul to see all of this in our world. I don't think he'd be at all surprised. In his own time, he would have been aware of how the Roman Empire poured massive amounts of salt on good fertile land as a kind of ancient world version of chemical warfare, permanently ruining the land, some of it ruined to this day. Paul might have known that across the Mediterranean islands, Natural forests had been torn up and then replanted with olive trees. Olive trees that don't root deeply enough to hold the soil in place, leaving those hilly islands with huge swaths of rocky, barren hills that can only support olive trees and sometimes not even those. He would know of that human presumption to do as we please, to, to see dominion as something quite akin to tyranny. And I suspect he would say to us the same thing he said to those beleaguered Christians in Rome, namely that it is not only the creation that groans, but, quote, we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly while we wait for adoption. As the sons and daughters of God, and for the redemption of our bodies, creation matter language again. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? Paul is writing here of a deep and rather stubborn hope. 
It's not writing of naivete or sort of self-imposed blindness that says, I'm not going to look at how things really are. I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope no. He works with a deeper, more profound, resilient, stubborn, audacious hope. That day on the beach in Greece, I wanted to turn away, to flee from the shore and wipe my eyes clean of that picture of all of that plastic garbage. But I didn't. I couldn't wipe the picture. I still can't. It's still there. And so I believe that Paul would advise me, advise us, to not get hopeless when we look at the state of the world, to not just throw in the towel as if the challenges are simply too big. No. All the way through his epistles, he's steadily insistent that our choices matter. I believe Paul would tell us to listen, to hear creation's deep groans, and to sorrow over its labor pains. And then in whatever ways we can, small and big, in every choice we make, to live into this status of being created in the image and likeness of God and further into that deep promise and deep responsibility of being claimed as God's adopted sons and daughters. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.